Hey friends, Merry Christmas to you. Um, I invite you if you have a uh, Bible close to you to open to uh, Luke chapter 2 as we're going to look one uh, last time um, at part of the Christmas story. I love that song we just sang, Joy to the World. Um, I love the carols of Christmas. The great Christmas hymns uh, that we sing are so rich in theological truth and so fun to sing. Me and my family have been singing, I guess, kind of the secret, maybe even before Halloween. Um, well, all cards on the table. We'll break it out in July if we need to. Um, just this morning, though, uh, Hudson and I were playing the air drums to uh, King and Country's rendition of The Little Drummer Boy. And uh, I have no idea how that connects to Christmas, that song. But it was a lot of fun, nevertheless. And I love that my family uh, gets involved in it. You ever wonder why singing is such a huge part of the Christian faith? In the Christmas passages alone, and as I was looking at them and studying for this uh, little sermon, um, many of the people sing. Zechariah has a song. Um, Mary, of course, in the Magnificat has a song. Uh, the angels show up singing. Uh, Simeon does some sort of rap at uh, or something of that nature at the thing, and, but that counts, right? Just these songs just kind of come forth with the good news of Jesus. And the people of faith, uh, we've always been a singing people. Augustine used to say that when you sing, you pray twice, once with your mind and once with your heart. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, moments before the mock trials would begin, he left the upper room. And as was their tradition, they gathered and they sang a hymn. We call it the Great Hallel. Christmas has always been associated with music, and one of my favorite things about these songs that we sing, again, is the theology that they contain, rich theology. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. One of my favorite songs we just sang together was Joy, Joy to the World. I remember um, singing that song on um, just growing up in confession, I don't know many of the words, so it's just joy to the world over and over, the only parts that I know. But I love this idea about joy and, and the crazy year we've had. I just want to talk just briefly about what Scripture says about joy. When's the last time you experienced joy? Great, deep, abiding joy, the kind that forces you to smile, kind of just comes on you. Maybe we should even start with another question of what is joy? Because see, joy is not giddy bliss. Joy is not the kids waking up early on Christmas to open up the presents only to be disappointed or excited for an hour or two. No, joy is a settled peace. It's a confidence that everything is under control. It's Jesus sleeping on the bottom of the boat when the boat's in this uh, incredible storm and the disciples are going crazy and they finally rush down to wake Jesus up and it says that he's sleeping there. That's, that's joy, the settled peace. 2020 has been such a trying year. We're just a few days away from turning the calendar to 2021 and I've heard it a thousand times. I cannot wait for 2020 to be over, but, but you know that just with the turn of the page of the calendar from the 31st to the 1st, 
2021 is not going to change that much just because we turned the page. All the problems that we had in 2020 we're carrying with us because we're going into 2021. And I do hope as a year, it's a better year. What will make 2021 a year of joy for you and your family? It's directly connected to where you put your hope. How much joy you'll live with then and how much joy you experience now is directly connected to where you've placed your hope. Because if we place our hope in good circumstances, then the next phone call could evaporate that. But if we put our hope in Jesus, which is what all of this is about, right? This is the encouragement to find our hope in Jesus. That's what produces real joy. This deep settled confidence that God is good. He's in control. He's working things out for your good. I'm struck as I read through the Christmas accounts, mostly in Matthew and Luke. Mark starts with Jesus' ministry, and John, too, speaks more theologically and gets kind of right to their implications. But both Matthew and Luke, they, they move a little slower, and they show us the emotions of that first Christmas. The wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy in Matthew 2. Or in Luke 1, Elizabeth when she heard, she says, For behold, when I heard the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Even Mary's song, the Magnificat, she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But maybe the picture that I've been focused on this season more than any others is those shepherds in the field. You know, just doing shepherdly duty, watching their sheep. Can you imagine before electricity and the city life and interstates, automobiles even, just how quiet it would have been on that hillside. And how attentive they probably were to the stars. They saw them every night. Certainly they would talk about things and they used sometimes them as navigational beacons. And then the one night, if you have it in Luke 2, I'm just going to read it quickly. If you'll read it with me, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, this is the craziest part of this, there was with the angel, the angel, an angel, one angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. The shepherds are there, and shockingly enough, an angel shows up and gives them this great message of this baby. They're filled with great fear, it says. Great fear. Have you ever been scared out of your wits? Filled with great fear. 
And then just as they're getting over that and trying to mentally process this angel messenger of the Lord speaking to them and that the Savior is come, suddenly, and not gradually, suddenly, there's a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. The message the angel brought that day was good news of great joy, deep abiding joy. Have you noticed that everybody wants joy? Of course they do. But that everyone doesn't have it. The great joy comes with the good news. And the good news is that Jesus had come. Our world aches for good news and they desperately search for joy. And where does God place this joy that the world is searching for? He places it in the heart of you and me. He places it in the heart of his people. True lasting joy only comes from an encounter with the good news of salvation. And what is this good news? That God had sent his son Jesus to make a way for us to be reconciled to God. This is good news. Now, a lot of people get this wrong, even in churches. If we're not careful, we cling to more mediocre news, not good news. That's moralism. Moralism or religion is the pursuit of doing enough good, and then maybe our good will outweigh our bad, and we'll get to heaven because we tip the scales of some sort. Like God is some kind of cosmic Santa. If you do good enough, you get to heaven. Too much bad, then hell's where you're going. But there's one major problem with that, that you and I both know if we're honest in the depths of our hearts, we aren't good. Even on our best days, the motives of our hearts are far from good. Ultimately, moralism is just exhausting and it's not good news. But the good news is that God already secured the remedy of your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is sin. We were born... Paul reminds us in Ephesians, with our minds and hearts hostile towards God. And the remedy of our greatest problem was the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul would go on to say, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The more attentive I am to what God's doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be of joy. I got three just really quick application points for us today. One is to say yes to his invitation. I believe God's speaking to you even now. He's always calling us to take a step of faith towards him. And my encouragement is to say yes to his invitation. What if these characters, real people of the biblical narrative of Christmas didn't say yes. If Mary didn't say, yes, I'm one of the Lord's servant. If Joseph would have pushed against the system and didn't say yes. If the shepherds wouldn't have with joy left where they were to go see the baby. If the wise men wouldn't have responded to the star and the invitation to go see the Christ child. If Simeon wouldn't have been there as he's being dedicated. If Anna would have given up hope and her waiting. But all of them said yes. 
And my encouragement to you is to say yes to what God's doing, what he's calling you to. God's got incredible plans for you. They all said yes. They followed him. They worshiped him. They knelt before him. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's he, what's the nudge of the Spirit? You know, sometimes we just need this little nudge. I encourage you to take some time today before the new year begins and really ask him clearly. All the celebrating is coming to a close maybe this week between Christmas and New Year's, we're spending time with family, it's good. But I encourage you to take some time, even today, to really pray. Ask the Holy Spirit what he's nudging you to, and then say yes to his invitation to let your life get caught up in something so great. Second point of application or pastoral encouragement to you is to sow seeds of truth into your own heart and mind this season. This metaphor of sowing and reaping is all throughout the Bible. Jesus uses it multiple times. The Apostle Paul is always using it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, <clears throat> leader of the early church, used it. And I'm sure you understand the concept. What you plant today, you harvest later. I was thinking about this. You know what? There's no such thing as a procrastinating farmer. Well, not for long anyway. It's not like the farmer, you know, procrastinated and wasted time during the planting season. And then all his friends are out harvesting and he thinks, well, man, maybe I should harvest. And so he pulls an all-nighter. Those of you in college, you remember the all-nighters that you didn't study, you didn't write the paper. And so the night before it's due, you just stay up all night and study, stay up all night and write. Well, farmers can't do that because even if he pulled an all-nighter and planted the seed during harvest, you can't wake up tomorrow and run the equipment. There's, there's nothing to harvest because planting and growing and harvesting are seasonal. And what we're harvesting in 2021, I mean in 2020, and looking towards 2021, are seeds that we planted in the past. They're coming to fruition even now. We planted these seeds, now we're harvesting them. Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul uses this <clears throat> metaphor. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, he says, for in due season... Again, this idea of seasons, we will reap if we don't give up. Saying, Luke, what does all this have to do with joy? We're talking about joy, deep confidence that God is in control and we can trust him. Well, I think part of this is this idea of sowing and reaping. When we sow seeds of truth into our mind, into our heart, through the reading of the word, through gospel conversations, through Christ-exalting books, through worship songs that keep our eyes focused on God and what he's doing. When, when we sow seeds of truth into our life, even this passage in Galatians 6 says, if we sow unto the Spirit, we will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We will, we will reap what God has intended because of what we have sown. 
Yet if we sow from the flesh, think of all these messages that have bombarded us in 2020 of the news, of the disease, of the vaccine, of the grieving, real grieving of people that we know of fear and worry creeps in, the economy and the election and the racial tension. It has been a year. And in those moments, we get to choose what seeds are being sown into our own mind and heart. My encouragement is that you would have a rhythm of sowing seeds of truth. To remind yourself daily of God's love for you and his plan for you. There's bad news all around, but joy should never be anchored in those circumstances, but the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. Friends, let the words of Jesus be the greatest, weightiest things in your life. He also says in Galatians 6, in due season. For most of us, this has not necessarily been a good year of harvest. Again, some of it the results of seeds, seeds that we've sown in the past. Some of it just the effects of a fallen, sin-wrecked world. But don't give up, friend. I love that Paul leaves that there. Sow into the Spirit and don't grow weary of well-doing. Because in due time, we will reap if we don't give up. Third thing and last thing. Show grace. Show more grace than you think you need to. More grace than people you think people deserve. The fact that sinful men and women can experience peace with God and subsequently peace with uh, peace on the earth when we really deserve Death is the essence of grace. And this is where grace is woven all through the Christmas story. I've given the song Silent Night a hard time in the past for the line that says, no crime he made. <clears throat> I've never met, never met a baby who didn't cry. And crying wouldn't diminish the divinity of Christ, not one bit. I think in that way we're trying to take his humanity out of it. But there's this great line in the song redeems it a little bit. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Redeeming grace. That's why Jesus came. That's why I died, so that through him, sinful men and women could be reconciled and restored to God. The message of Christmas brings sinners to this crossroad with a they must deal with the person of Jesus. Will you embrace him as your Lord and Savior? Will you dismiss his claim in your life and reject the salvation he offers? Will we in return be people of grace? The grace we've experienced will we now serve out to all the others? In a world so full of vitriol and division, church grace is all we have. When you think about it, the world does nearly everything better than the church. Its marketing is better. Its business strategies is better. Its buildings are better. A lot of its music is better. Its education, its events, on and on we could go. The world does, and if we're competing against the world, the world does nearly everything better than the church. Well, nearly everything, everything but grace. 
Grace is the one thing that we have that no one can compete with, and it's ours through Jesus. And this is what has probably broken my heart as a pastor more this season in 2020 than ever before, and it's our lack of grace. We've had every reason to be divided on every issue, and politics, and masks, and mandates, and viruses, and now vaccines. And yet through all of that, we should be people of grace. Incredible grace. And I encourage you to be a person of great grace. Maybe there's some people that you've not extended grace to that now would be a good time to send them a quick text or make a phone call and say, hey, man, will you forgive me? I just I haven't shown the grace that I've been shown. I encourage you to say yes to God's invitation. Let your life get caught up in something great. I encourage you to sow seeds of truth into your mind and heart. Really watch those inputs. And then to be a people of grace. To show more grace than you think you should. To the level that Jesus showed you grace. Let me end with Paul's prayer for the church at Rome. In Romans 15, verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And when we trust the promises of God and we have joy and peace and love, then God's glorified. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men with whom he's pleased.